We start this programming today with a special announcement. <laughs> Dallas, Texas, we're coming for you. Yes. We are so excited. We have a live show on Thursday, October 19th at the Texas Theater. The doors are at 7. The show is at 8. There are general admission and VIP tickets still available. VIP gets you a signed poster and access to our post-show Q&A. And My favorite part. Those Q&As so get kind of ruckus. They get so buck. <laughs> I feel We're like... all wasted by the end. <laughs> it's so fun. And we tell all. We, we definitely tell all. There have been proposals. They are not uh, recorded. Yeah. The, the venue staff are always like, what is happening? So anyway, uh, splurge for the VIP ticket if uh, you're so inclined. And you can get yours now at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Go check it out. Dallas, we're going to be there soon, baby. We'll see you on October 19th. We'll see you there. Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> Bonorama! Amanda's in her Bonorama shirt. My favorite. It's from a trombone festival. Love it. <laughs> Where did you get that? My um, niece plays trombone and she was in <laughs> a she festival. Does. Your eight-year-old niece? No, no. It's one of the Finkenauer nieces. Oh, my God. Yeah. And when Bobby, my brother-in-law, attended his lovely child's trombone Bonorama, they had these shirts, and he gave me one, and the back has, like, a nude angel, like, winged angel with, like, ripped abs. Here, I'll show you. It's, it's, it, a, it's, it's not to be believed. It's a child's trombone festival. What, what on earth? It's like a, it's like a Ken doll. It's like Gabriel's horn. Yeah, Gab- it's Gabriel. It's Gabriel. Jesus Without Christ. any junk. Uh, yeah, no, it's Ken doll. It's just smooth. It's child appropriate. I'm fucking obsessed (laughs) with it. I wear it all the time. I can't believe I haven't talked about my favorite shirt on this show before. I think you have. What a treat. It just shocks me every time. Mm -hmm. Wow. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, great. We know who Amanda is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I'm Kenyon. I recently leaned into the fact that I pretty much only ever wear black, even though I have other shit in my closet. Mm-hmm. And I just bought a whole bunch more black clothes. Good for you. Yeah, I'm Lucy. I'm wearing pink today. I love. You're is that like the shirt we got in New York pregnant. when we went uh, shopping in New York at that one store where your mom gets all of her slacks? No, I got this at the Gap. Okay, close though. But yeah, a bu- what is that open store? button-up shirt. Get all her slacks. Yeah, what was that store where Melinda gets her slacks? Quilo. Uniqlo. Chulo. Uniqlo. U- Uniqlo. Uni- yeah. Unicorn. Yep. Chulo. Coolo. Chipotle. 
Y'all, my Chipotle the other day was so good. Was I was a huge watching... spider right outside my window. It's disgusting. Ew. I was watching <laughs> old episodes of Queer Eye from like season one and season two and just sobbing into a burrito bowl. And I'm like nowhere near getting my period. I'm like a good two weeks out. Like it was not menstrual. Yeah, you don't it need to be natural. hormonal to weep at right. Queer Eye. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, they... The power that they wield over the episode, our emotional states. When they're like in Atlanta and they go and help the, the woman like finish the community center for her church. And like mm-hmm. Bobby has all these really complex feelings because he experienced so much religious trauma as a young gay mm-hmm. man. And she just like loves and accepts him and her son is gay. And she like opens up to her whole church community about how proud she is. For, I'm going to cry again of her gay son. <laughs> I just I I I was losing it i can't believe i didn't choke to death because i was just (laughs) crying and eating like rice and beans it was so amazing have i told you guys about when i was in palm springs with my mom and my sister a couple years ago and palm springs california shit's legal and we hit my mom's on a new, she's found a new life as a big fan of gummies. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's not new. It's just revived from the old days. No, she never was, she never liked it until it was legal has, in California. Newly shocks life. me. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. So we were, there was, we were in an Airbnb and they had like a TV and a fireplace and we had just gotten out of the hot tub and we're just, we were going to watch an episode of Queer Eye before we went to bed. <laughs> And I thought my mom was paying attention like three quarters of the way through. Are they gay? Karamo or someone. It wasn't Karamo. It was um, the British guy. Oh, Tan. Tan. He's like talking to the the sister of the person they're reviving. Fixing. fixing. Rehabbing. And uh, none of these words are right, but you know. (laughs) And so it's like Tan and a woman and they're like sitting in a tree (laughs) And having like the heartfelt moment, my mom goes, Aw, do they get married? <laughs> yes. I'm like, have you been fucking paying any attention? <laughs> That's amazing. Aren't they a beautiful couple? Oh, they look so good together. They're so happy. <laughs> mom. <laughs> I love that. That's fucking funny as shit. All right. Well, speaking of not following the plot. Oh, did you misunderstand the assignment this week? No, 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 no. I just meant that we were not been following really off the rails. Well, always. So non sequitur, we are continuing hog girl summer with (laughs) hog girl summer. We really do need t-shirts. The problem is by the time we get them, it'll be like January. Yeah. Yeah. Next summer. Maybe next summer and maybe on like a pre-order situation so we don't end up with an influx of hog girl summer merch (laughs) that then we cannot sell. Yeah. Yeah. So if you really want it. Yeah. But yeah, make your voices heard if you really want hog girl summer because I do. And they won't listen to me anymore after the A2 Bananas fanny packs. That is so not true. (laughs) (laughs) It's just partially true. (laughs) Okay, so we're continuing Hog Girl Summer with a gal's pick. We have selected the topic of Alaska crimes. Which I cannot 
believe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we haven't done. We've definitely done some of the big name cases already on other episodes. The guy who hunts the women. Oh, yeah. From the Israel Keys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've mm-hmm. done some of the heavy hitters. So hopefully we'll have a couple that are uh, lesser known mm-hmm. Alaska cases in this Mine's episode. Weird. Mine's weird, too. Great. So, yeah. what Amanda, let's get right to it. What's our wine crime pairing for Alaska crimes? The viticultural region of Alaska, mm. shockingly, does not lend align itself. Itse- lend itself well to grape production. Mm-mm. So finding Alaskan wine was just not a thing that I was even going to attempt to do. But I do have this beautiful bottle of Merlot that felt applicable, at least to my case, which very much relies on the setting of like watershed kind of points of passage, trade, trapping, you know, being okay. right on like. You know, trade route. Yeah, Alaska has all of these, you know, massive intersections of where land meets water and so many different kinds of, like, water. They have ocean, they have river, they have lakes, they have glacier, they have all kinds of shit. So I have this bottle in my cabinet, the Pointe de Passage Merlot, and just oh. this gray, cold... Yeah. Ooh. That does fit. Ocean label really like called that. to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's a beaut. It's Lapping a 2020. waves. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 2020 Merlot. It's 100% Merlot, not a blend. And I know that a lot of people think Merlot is like lowbrow or chuggy or whatever. When you get a chuggy. Go- fucking chuggy. I love Merlot. Stupid word. I actually think chuggy is one of the greatest words, and I'm going to tell you why. Because chuggy for me encapsulates exactly what the square tip white French manicure is. Yeah. Like, I often will look at something and be like, oh, that's like the square, like, like the, ter- yeah. like the Teresa Caputo, whatever. The nails that we got done in for high school, school dances. dances. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I'm like, oh, that's the like, white square French manicure of things. And then the word chuggy came out and I was like, oh, more that's succinct. The, that's the word I've been looking for. Anyway, still not clear on what it means. Does it just mean like millennial shit? It's like elder millennial, basic. very, very basic, like fucking wood wash signs with fucking live, laugh, love on them. Squared off giant fucking nails and white, Tipped manicures, badly okay. bleached hair. Chunky highlights. Chunky highlights, Uggs, but like on people over 40, which that'll be me, but Juice, whatever. Juicy sweatpants. No, no, that'd be too cool. That'd be too hip. This is not, no. this is like a millennial mam. Yeah. Like, 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 like washed wood barn chic. Yeah. Basic like bitch, elder millennial we're all mom. thinking of. Listen. No one's saying it, and no one's thinking it. We're all thinking it. Anyway, (laughs) this is 100% Merlot. This is a French Merlot, so it's going to be, like, very classic, very traditional. And what I was getting to is that people kind of look down on Merlot, but, like, when it's good, it's so fucking good. It's so good. It's often in blends, and it can be kind of hard to find, like, a really good 100% Merlot, but you'll get that 
when you get it right, it's like that velvety mouthfeel. That so it's smooth. not too inundated with like tannin, so it's got a nice smooth finish. It's a little less dry. It's a little on the juicier side, but like that's so awesome to pair with rich foods. I'm thinking like cheesecake, baby. Mm, Lucy's yeah, favorite. I'm thinking cheesecake too. <laughs> you're always thinking cheesecake because you're the most pregnant person I know. <laughs> But yeah, this is a 2020. She's a popper. It's the rest of my cookies. <laughs> 14.6% ABV, so it's not going to like knock you on your ass, but it still packs a little punchy. And I pre-prepped a little with my XOXO, the Wine and Crime Gals iridescent wine key. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give it a little uh, pop a lop. Love it. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that was, a good, that was a nice pop. Nice yeah. pop. I feel like a it's nice been a minute cute. since we had such a nice pop. I know. Mm. I feel like I've been drinking a lot of canned beverages and smoking a lot of weed recently. Yeah. But now that I feel better and I'm not like blasted on cough medicine, I'm ready for some good fucking wine, baby. Yeah. Good for I you. Had, I had a hefty pour of red wine last night when we did our uh, I saw happy it. hour. I was and jealous. It felt great. Yeah, it looked great. <laughs> you looked very like chic. Oh, with all your right. huge glass of red wine, just in your in your live stream, taking on the world, a woman of culture. Sure. While <laughs> I yeah, while I drank sparkling water, ate a gummy, and laughed my ass off at Lucy trying to discreetly eat bites of like fifty cookies. <laughs> <laughs> there was only one cookie. I just ate it for a really long okay, time. Okay, it seemed <laughs> like multiple cookies, but that this tracks. <laughs> anyway, right, well, cheers, cheers, babes. This cheers. smells so fucking good. I'm so excited. All right, well, Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych for Alaska crimes? There's no psych. I really don't know where my bones went. Anyway, there's no psych. Whatever. This is fucking Alaska. Delicious. By the way, sorry. Sometimes Lucy. red wine sounds good. Fall. You can have a little for the antioxidants. Yeah. It's be good it's for, for baby. The baby. For Kermit. <laughs> okay, Alaska is the 49th U.S. state on the northwest extremity of North America, bordering British Columbia and Yukon in Canada. I know nothing about Canada. I what is always... Yukon a provi- province? It's like a territory, right? Right. I always <laughs> have to look at the map. Who knows? I know it's I up know, there. I know British Columbia is on one side and Quebec is on the other. Yep. And then Toronto is somewhere I, on the I know city. Yeah. Yep. But yep. it's there. I know them all in order, <laughs> the provinces, but then there's like shit above it that we never talk about. Yeah, because it's the just Northwest wilderness. Territories. Yeah. Okay. I feel like uh, Yukon is a territory, not a province. But I it could must be, wrong. be Yes, it is. I'm looking at the map, and Woo! it looks like the Yukon Territory Perennials, is above British Columbia, and it touches Alaska, and then it touches the Northern Territories. Do you need, like, a visa to go from Alaska into no. the Yukon? I think it's just very sparsely populated. Maybe right, well, because it it's, like, such a brutal wilderness. It's way up there. All that, of that's that probably shit why it's is... not a province because it's not really like populated in the same way. North... Yeah, right. 
Would that be why it's not a province? That that would be my it guess. It might have something to do with first peoples and Inuit True. peoples and territory, but I do think it is part of Canada. Mm-hmm. The Canadians listening are screaming right now. And but- we don't want your emails. <laughs> we don't, don't care about Canada. <laughs> I won't remember any we of love it Canada. anyway. And I always forget about Manitoba and it's right above Minnesota and I forget about it. Ontario's right above Minnesota. They both are. I love Vancouver. Ontario's where we (laughs) had our issue. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, okay. Yukon and British Columbia to the east, and it also shares a western maritime border with the Bering Strait, in the Bering Strait, with Russia's Chukotka Autonomous Okrug. Okay. Which I googled Okrug, and it basically means district. Okay. It's very Soviet. I don't like it. Yep. The Arctic lies to the north, as in the Arctic Ocean, and the Pacific Ocean lies to the south. Alaska is the largest enclave in the world. And by enclave, it just means like a territory or a state that's surrounded by a different territory or state. Okay. Yeah, because it doesn't touch, it doesn't have any land border with other U.S. states. Yep. Got it. It is by far the largest U.S. state, bigger than Texas, California, and Montana combined. Whoa. That's crazy. She is large. Mm -hmm. I feel like we get so, and I mean, I know this to be true, but we get so like duped by maps. Yeah. (laughs) Because they do not properly represent scale. We've talked about this before. Some yeah. people think Alaska is like by Hawaii. Right. Because they're because always close the to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that. But the right. size is not translated on a on a US map at all. No. Because it looks about the same size as Texas on a just a regular US map. Because of it's really hard to find a map that has accurate sizes of any yep. area of the Proper world. Proper scale. There's mm-hmm. a whole episode of the West Wing about this. There is. How maps are racist. Yep. It's I took a true. whole semester in college about maps. Mm-hmm. Very boring class, but I learned a lot. <laughs> so it's bigger than those three combined. It's the most sparsely populated state in the United States, but by far more populated than northern Canada, Yukon, northern whatever. Sure. And also Greenland. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So I just had a lot of people up there. Yeah. Like your uncle. Yes. They Mm. live in Fairbanks. Mm -hmm. The capital is Juneau, and the most populous city is Anchorage. Approximately half of Alaska's residents live within the Anchorage metropolitan area. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's easy to get to. Like, they have, that's where the airport is. It's really hard to get pretty much anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of my fun facts is the end Juneau is only accessible by airplane. Yeah. Or, f- or boat. You can't drive there. Mm. But it's what? the capital. That's mm-hmm. so odd. That's bizarre. You'd think that they'd switch it up maybe and have Anchorage become the capital once it became the more like accessible, populated part. But no, that's not how it works. a lot of weird capital choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Sitka used to be the capital of Alaska, so they've already changed it once. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can only change it. Once like, every like your, 500 like, years. It's like your Instagram handle. You can only change it so many times. Mm. <laughs> the name Alaska comes from the Russian word Alyaska, which was introduced in the Rus- during the Russian colonial period, which I'm about to get to, 
and means the object towards which the action of the sea is directed. Okay. Okay, Russia. Everything about what the Russians did is so fucking lame <laughs> in my segment and in, like, world history. Uh. Did you know that Juno is further south than Anchorage? I was assuming that... Isn't it on, like, the little leg that comes out? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Huh. The leg, that sexy little leg. Yeah. Little leg. Interesting. Okay. It might... The reason why it's the capital might have something to do with the commerce. Probably. And accessibility, mm. even though, like, now it's maritime accessibility, accessibility not mm -hmm. car mm -hmm. accessibility. Right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. According to the History Channel, the first people migrated to Alaska around 15,000 years ago during the Ice Age via a frozen land bridge known as Beringia, the Bering okay, Land cool. Bridge, mm -hmm. which extended from Siberia to eastern Alaska. The first permanent settlements in Alaska date to about 4,000 years ago. Mm. So Russia's first came, Russians first came into contact with indigenous people in the mid-1700s. Mm -hmm. In 1741, Vitus Johans, Johans, Jonasson <laughs> Bering. <laughs> Your deep guy. breath. You're breaking a sweat trying to pronounce this. I've eaten so many cookies. I'm out of breath. Talking hurts because of all the cookies you've eaten. I love that for you. Also, my lungs are smashed. They're small. It's true. All Just your wait. organs. I know. <laughs> Don't just wait me. I know. <laughs> so this guy and his crew sailed between Russia and North America for Russian Tsar Peter the Great. Ever heard of him? Yeah, he was fine. <laughs> Not. They became the first Europeans to explore parts of Alaska. In 1784, Grigory Shelikov created the first Russian settlement on Kodiak Island. In 1794, Catherine the Great sent the first Russian Orthodox monks to Kodiak, and they created a Russian Orthodox community that, to this day, remains very vibrant. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That would be the kind of nonfiction that I feel like Kenyon would be super fucking into. Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's your vibe. Absolutely. I feel like she's looking up flights to Kodiak, Alaska, I as we speak. I want to read a story, or more accurately, a non-fiction book, an audiobook about mm. the first Russian Orthodox monks to make it to Kodiak. That would be <laughs> yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I would read that. <laughs> yeah, you would. You'd read the shit out of that. I would. <laughs> I've already read a lot about Catherine the Great, so it's time <laughs> it's to move on. It's just an extension. Yeah. <laughs> Go east, young woman. <laughs> <laughs> While some Alaskans were barely impacted by their presence, the Russians' presence, some were taken hostage and forced to hunt. Like mm -hmm. many other instances of colonization, many folks converted to new religions. So in this case, many were converted by the Russian Orthodox Church. So lots of Russian Orthodox shit up there. Mm -hmm. Well, they're neighbors. I can see Russia from my house. <laughs> She can't, though. <laughs> Super can't. She really can't. No. Defo can't. <laughs> Multiple fur trading operations were also established in Alaska, including those started by the Russian, uh, Russian, British, and American fur traders. They hunted beaver, river otter, fox, bear, lynx, wolves, wolverines, 
which I like didn't know until recently were an actual animal, a real and not thing. Like, <laughs> they're like land narwhals, a cryptid. <laughs> they do not fuck around either. And the Wolverine will fuck you up. They're cute as shit, but they will fuck you up just like a, those honey badger things. Oh, honey badgers! <laughs> Can I Telling tell you? you? An unhinged thing that I did recently. Always. Oh Always. So I was on a flight <laughs> and we landed and then it took a really long time for us to get to our like gate after we landed. And so I had gotten bumped up. So I was in first class. No big deal. <laughs> so there was a guy like one row in front of me and he was just talking nonstop to the flight attendant. And he was talking about some trip that he was going to go on and whatever. And well, to Montana. people in first class don't shut the fuck up. They love talking to the flight attendants. They love yeah. talking. If I the last time I got bumped up to first class, the guy next to me wouldn't shut up. Yeah, about I put my why headphones I was getting on. A virgin Bloody Mary. I put my headphones on now before getting on the plane, and that has helped me. Tried, and that I work. really look just like a real cunt. I'm just like. <laughs> Yeah, I need to work on. Anyway, you gotta I gotta boost not, your cunt face. He wasn't talking to me. He was talking to the flight attendant, but I had forgotten my headphones. So that's on me. Mm. So I just was listening to this man talk. And he was talking about this trip and how he was going to some remote area, I think in Montana and how his wife was afraid of bear attacks and ha 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 and he had to buy bear spray and who would have thought that it all like I you know and he anyone was, who's ever been to Montana <laughs> like they greet you at the border and go do you have bear spray <laughs> and as I was passing him leaving the plane I just went I know someone who survived a bear attack I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes you more or less nervous and then I just walked away <laughs> In the Boundary Waters, Alex Messenger, he wrote a book about it. I know. Threw his camera at its nose. We what? went to high school with him. Yeah. Did you not know this? No. Yeah, yeah he Alex Messenger. A got Alex attacked by a bear. Who gets attacked by a bear? Yeah, really it was attacked. bad. He had to be like airlifted. Like uh, it was bad. Like almost didn't make it. Yeah. And now he's got like two beautiful he kids. He wrote a book. He wrote a yeah. book. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Oh, no. If I had to write a book, I survived a bear attack. But yeah, yeah. He, was fo- he was out photographing on a Boundary <laughs> Waters strip and he fucking hit the bear on the snoot with his camera. Yeah. And it like kept coming back for him. And then he was like too fucked up to like walk to camp. So he's just kind of like. he play dead and it worked? I think he did. Yeah. But then he had to kind of just wait but he for was someone to be a like. Bit. Oh, he's been gone for a really long time. Mm-hmm. It's not, not a great situation. But he's fine now. So anyway, I kind of wanted to scare that man and get yes. him to shut up a little bit. So that's what I said. And then I just did not engage further. Just proud of you. Got out of there quick. Clean release. Yeah. <laughs> Clean release. Well done. Good dismount. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Muskrat, mink, and squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Oh, my God. Okay. Drama. <laughs> While Russia eventually created trading treaties with its competition, their widespread trapping almost led to the extin- extinction of multiple species. Go figure. They just don't know when to quit. Including indigenous communities. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go too far into that. Well, also, true. while the Russians controlled parts of the area, they called it Russian America. Cute. Which just speaks 
to Soviet creativity. <laughs> uh-huh. Thanks, guys. <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, according to the Department of State's Office of the Historian, which is where I want to work, the Alaska Purchase happened in 1867 and marked the end of Russian efforts to expand trade and settlements all the way to the Pacific Coast. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. That, to the Pacific Coast, I guess. Yeah, it's not that far, since it's pretty much I was on thinking the, the Atlantic coast. coast. Right. Right. Okay. All the way right here. <laughs> <laughs> all the way where it is. 55 miles. <laughs> where 55 everything the light touches, Simba. <laughs> <laughs> Russia offered to sell Alaska to the U.S. in 1859 because they thought that the U.S. would offset the designs of Russia's greatest rival, Great Britain. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, well, obviously America hates Great Britain, so we might as well sell them this and they'll be on our side. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't yeah. project 100 years into the future. You just don't know. The purchase didn't immediately happen and was delayed by the Civil War. On March 30th, 1867, Secretary of State William Seward, remember that name, agreed okay. to per- agreed to a proposal from the Russian minister in Washington, Edward Steckel, to purchase Alaska for 7.2 million dollars. My god. According <laughs> time to Time Money Converter baby. According to Kenyon's lover, Time Money Converter. Seven point two million in eighteen sixty seven would be equivalent to over one hundred and forty eight million dollars today. That still seems low. Yeah, considering well, they how didn't big know it that is. it had oil yet. Sure, or gold. Right. Didn't have that much gold though. A lot of gold. Yeah, but the it was. The question is, why did we want it? Just I don't beavers, know. beaver hats, beavers and dicks. Probably. I don't know. Maybe okay. we just didn't want Russia to have it. Probably. Or it was really cheap. It was a good deal. Mm -hmm. The Senate approved the Treaty of Purchase on April 9th. President Andrew Johnson signed the treaty on May 28th, and the official transfer happened on October 18th, 1867. So that means that Alaska was a U.S. territory. That's so crazy that Alaska became like a state in the U.S. barely, like, Barely 50 years before my grandmother was born. No, it was a territory, not a state. Well, whatever. It became part of the United States in some fashion. Yeah. That's still wild to me. Yes. Your it grandma a, was hella the old first person. by the time yeah. it became a state. Yeah, sure. It became a yeah. state in 1959. That's wild. So this purchase became essential to the U.S.'s rise as a great power in the Asia-Pacific region because it ensured the United States' access to the Pacific Northern Rim. So maybe mm. that's why they wanted it, because okay. Russia already had that, okay. but we didn't. Like the film Pacific Rim with the I robot aliens and Idris Elba, I think. It's fine. <laughs> yep. Guys, like just that. relax. Just like that. <laughs> Good job, Amanda. So, like, they obtained Russia or Alaska as a territory. They didn't really pay any attention to it for, like, 30 years or so. And then in 1884, the U.S. constituted a civil government as a way to impose U.S. mining laws because there were people going up there to mine. Mm. And people were like, why the fuck did we buy this? It's like dark half the year. Mm -hmm. At that point, they didn't know how much shit was up there. So they its nickname was Seward's Folly or Seward's Icebox. Mm -hmm. Just because people were like, what a waste of $7 million. 
Those skeptics were put to shame when a major gold deposit was discovered in the Yukon in 1896 and Alaska became the gateway to the Klondike gold fields. Mm -hmm. That's why it's Yukon Cornelius Mm -hmm. in the, the Christmas show. It's fine. I should amend what I said earlier. Yes, obviously there was gold there, but like. And we'll get to this a little in my case. People, it, the same shit happened in California when people heard about like one area that had a gold reserve. Yeah. Then everyone tried to go and strike gold. And then it was like, they're trying to find it in places where it definitely wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's like, oops, no gold. Yeah. Or not enough gold to go around for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. There's a photo on the drive, which will be on the blog of like a huge line of gold seekers and prospectors mm-hmm. and miners climbing up this specific pass that goes like into the passage of t- to the Yukon where the gold is. That's mm-hmm. wild. They look like little ants. Look yeah, at all those this fucking is, people. That's bonkers. Mm-hmm. In the snow. Yeah. Absolutely not. Mm-mm. Yep. So the strategic importance of Alaska was recognized during World War II. According to the National Park Service, the only World War II battle fought on U.S. soil occurred in Alaska. So it was like on one of those islands uh, between the U.S. and Japan. Okay, Um, that's an interest. That's like a good trivia tidbit. Mm. Mm -hmm. There were also Russian pilots who trained in Fairbanks. There was also like a like a. some sort of deal that the U.S. had with the Soviets where they would transport planes up to Alaska. Then the Soviets would pick them up to fight the Germans at their eastern front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Japanese forces. Oh, yeah. Well, this is the battle. The, the battle. Japanese forces occupied two Aleutian Islands for more than a year. Hmm. In 1939, Congress established the Panama-Hawaii-Alaska Defense Triangle to protect America's western coast. Mm -hmm. Due to this, Alaska saw the construction of naval bases at Sitka, Dutch Harbor, and Kodiak Islands. Finally, all of her hard work paid off, and Alaska officially became a U.S. state on January 3rd, 1959. That's wild. That was so recent. Mm -hmm. My dad was three. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I know we like to talk about state flags, and Alaska has a very cool story about their state flag. Mm. John Ben Benson Jr., also known as Benny Benson. Jingleheimer Schmidt. Oh, (laughs) Benny Benson. Benny Benson was born in Chignik on October 12th, 1913. At age three, Benny, his older sister, and his younger brother lost their mother to pneumonia, Mm. and they lost their house to a fire. This Mm -hmm. is... Like the start of a dollop episode. Okay. Yep. Sad. <laughs> Under these circumstances, the father had to could, couldn't take care of all of them, so he split up the family, sending Benny and his brother to one orphanage in Unalaska, and his sister to Oregon. The orphanage um, in Unalaska later moved to a larger facility with a more central location in Seward. Is Unalaska a place? It's a town in Alaska. Unalaska, Alaska? <laughs> yes. Clove. Oh. Love it. The name No, no. Is, the name is derived from the native indigenous people's name mm. for okay. Alaska. So okay. definitely not the same as English It's not like anti Alaska. Yeah. Got okay. It. Got it. Not the same. Still, right. 
confusing. Funny. Easy mistake to make as people. Confusing to our ears. Yes. Yep. Unalaska. In 1926, territorial governor George Parks was fighting for statehood, because again, it wasn't a state until like 30-some years later. Sure. And was convinced after a trip to Washington, D.C. that Alaska should have its own flag, damn it, because that would constitute it being a state. So he came back and convinced the Alaska American Legion to hold a contest open to all Alaskan children, grades 7 through 12, to design a flag for for the state. Yeah, they should have gotten the younger grades involved. See what kindergartners. Get preschool in there. Yeah. Finger paint the flag. Hey, they could come up with something great. They could. Like that weird I voted sticker that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like that yeah. crab thing. It's so weird. It's like a monster. It's so I like fucking red eyes. It. Yes, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's the only sticker I want for every election. <laughs> So they had, like, local contests, and then they narrowed it down, and the best 10 designs were sent on to Juno. The contest winner was Benny Benson. Benny! At the time, a seventh grader at the territorial school in Seward. So the... Cute. Yeah. His design had eight stars to represent the Big Dipper, placed on a blue background to represent the sky... So there's a picture of him holding his <laughs> little 13-year-old so Benny cute. holding Ooh, his peanut. flag. Oh, he's That's got such fucking a cute adorable. little outfit on. Mm-hmm. I know. This little sweater with a tie. I can't. The flag was a unanimous winner by the panel of judges. Mm. By May 1927, the flag was adopted by the two houses of the territorial legislature it was flown for the first time on July 9th, 1927, when he was 13 years old. Oh, my God. During the ceremony, Benny was awarded a watch with the flag emblem and a $1,000 education scholarship. That was okay. a big scholarship back then. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So after graduation, he used his scholarship to earn a degree in diesel engine repair, I think in Oregon, mm. and later came back to Alaska And became an airplane mechanic. Nice. In the mid-1950s, he was briefly reunited with his long-lost sister. Oh, that's right, because the family was separated. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. But did she die? What do you mean? Why was it brief? She did die right after that. I cut that part. Oh, God. Well, you said briefly. (laughs) You did. She Um, said briefly. Maybe it was just a lunch. I don't know. No, no. I knew there was a story there. Don't try. She's busy. Don't try to slip that past me, bitch. Uh-uh. Briefly. Uh, okay. Nipped out that trauma. I knew. I knew. Trauma? <laughs> trauma? Well, what I, I also knew. cut is that his brother was there and his brother and his sister both died like right after that. Well, oh, glad what? I pulled that information out because it's pertinent. another fire? Benny himself passed away from a heart attack in 1972 at the age of 58. But his flag remains honestly the most attractive flag of all the states. So excellent job, Benny Benson. We should let kids design all of the state flags because they would undoubtedly do a better job than what we currently have. But if they all sucked, then someone would need to step in. But I just feel like kids. (laughs) Well, okay, no. As I was getting ready to say it, I realize it's not true. I'm like, kids aren't trying to cram too much into one picture but i mean yes usually they are but he i think that was the genius of this flag is simple simplicity right Mm -hmm. and how can you go wrong with like yellow and navy blue yeah and the big dipper gorgeous get out of here okay so i have some fun facts about alaska for us e-l-e 
SKA. <laughs> West Virginia. The, <laughs> the state sport of Alaska is dog mushing, a sport or transport method powered by dogs. Mm-hmm. It's going to the dogs. It's going to the dogs. That would be very cool to like do as a tourist one time. I have been I'm on sure a dog sled one time in Minnesota, and it was brief, but it was really fun. Why was How it brief? Why was it brief? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was on a little we track. Because w- all the dogs died shortly, like during the run. It was wild. Why was it no, brief? It was, like, it was a really small track at a wolf sanctuary. <laughs> no trauma to sniff there, except for the, probably the wolves and the dogs. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Oh, dog mushing was once the primary mode of transportation in most of Alaska. Mm -hmm. The Iditarod Trail sled dog race is the state's largest sporting event. Yeah, they still do that. It looks so cool. That would be very cool to just observe and not ever be in. Be at the end of in a warming house with a hot cocoa. Cocoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll be in the shower. I'm in it for the cocoa. Honestly, just the clothing. Like you get to go shopping. (laughs) The mucklocks. Yeah. The very specific sweaters. 45, 50 minutes. Just Max. to get cold so that yeah. it feels better when you're sitting by the fire. Yeah, yeah so you get the cute cheeks. red cheeks. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. little braided hair and then like yep. a little hat. A little and then hat. when you're by the fire, you're like all tingly from yeah. Yeah, warming up. But yeah, just long enough. Get in the hot just tub. Just long enough. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, no, we, we're ready. We're ready to go to Alaska. We're ready for the Iditarod. We're ready for the... I've been training my whole People life die for this. on it. <laughs> been training my whole life for this cozy storybook version. I'll pick up the last half mile. <laughs> it's a relay, Not, right? That is so That's long. That's a lot. With the yeah, wind chill, no I, I don't want to be moving. Half mile? A half mile? You're being towed by dogs. No, I've done There's it. wind. It's it would take 10 minutes. Mm, no, it would not. Quarter mile. Mm. You okay. don't know the conditions. To each her own. You it's know fine. nothing of the Iditarod. Don't pretend you're you do. not ready. <laughs> you are not. You're you not, have not been training. <laughs> you're not. Some of ready. us have not been working on our Iditarod bodies, and <laughs> yeah, it shows. It shows. <laughs> As someone who is built like a seal, I have been working on my Iditarod body, and I am fucking ready, baby. <laughs> Let's I go. did a rod bod. I did a rod bod. I did a rod bod. I'm Alaska. so ready for summer to be over. Yeah, I'm <laughs> it's going to be 100 degrees here this week. It's going to get really hot here, I know. Like what? Last night was beautiful. Full moon, 60 it degrees. It was so gorgeous. It was so perfect. Uh, now we're fucking ruining it. Thanks, Republicans. I blame you. <laughs> Okay, Alaska is approximately 55 miles from Russia, but there is one point where you can see Russia from the U.S., but it's because mm-hmm. there are two islands that are really close to each other. And that is It's not, not where, where fucking Sarah, Sarah Palin lives. <laughs> no. <laughs> sure isn't. At more than 19%, Alaska has a more concentrated indigenous population than any other state. So they have That's the right. Aleuts. The Inupiat, the Uits, the 
Athabascans, the Tlingit, and the Haida peoples, and they make up the major native groups. Moose, caribou, and bears killed by cars in Alaska are considered property of the state. Mm-hmm. So you have to report it. And also when you do report that roadkill, those carcasses are picked up and butchered by volunteers and distributed as food to charity organizations. Oh, that's, that's fucking cool. cool. Mm-hmm. Here well, are the only time fucking huge. Yeah, they're massive. Mm-hmm. You have to report, I think, anywhere in the U.S. if you hit or in some way maim or kill a bald eagle. Oh, yes. Mm. And someone in near my old apartment in northeast Minneapolis hit a bald eagle <laughs> with their truck. In Minneapolis. On Broadway Avenue <laughs> oh, Northeast. No. And oh, they're no. like, oh, I have to call the parks department. And it died. And they pulled over right by like <laughs> that little park by my old apartment. And they had to get on the, yeah, on the horn with the DNR and wait for someone to come out and make sure that like their story added up. Yeah. And then take the... Sure you weren't bald eagle hunting in And also that you weren't taking any feathers or anything because you can't do any of that. So they had to stay put. Like, it was a whole thing. See if it was, like, banded. Yep. I walked my dog so much that afternoon because I was so curious. (laughs) I was so the nosy neighbor. I was like, oh, you murdered this bald eagle? Let me see how this pants up. Burke was like, I don't want to go. I'm so tired. (laughs) Callie's like, let's go. (laughs) Let's look at it again. It makes sense. My lucky day. It's the best day of my life. (laughs) It makes sense with the moose, though. That's a lot of good meat. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Plus, you can get really injured if you hit that with your car. Oh, yeah. Well, also, they just have to make sure people aren't, you know, illegally hunting and just claiming that it was accidental roadkill. Oh, yeah. I hit it with my car. I'm mm-hmm. taking all this meat. Yeah. Yep. So the summer weather in Alaska is better than a lot of people assume that it is, with average daytime temps ranging from the 60s to the 90s throughout the state. Hmm. I've only been to Alaska once, and it was in July, but it was a gorgeous. Uh, wow, okay. It also, like, doesn't really get dark in the summer, so we had to have, like, blackout curtains. I and love I go that. so bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, like, the only cruise I would consider. Yeah. I'd consider, like, Viking River cruises and yeah. an Alaskan cruise. Same. Yeah. Be aware of how they dispose of their waste, because yeah. they can be quite destructive. Okay. okay. Well, so, then... Guess my honeymoon is canceled. Just kidding, that's not my honeymoon. <laughs> You're going to Australia. Calm uh, down. We're probably not, but it's fine. By river. Yeah. <laughs> you could go over the Bering Strait. Yep. And then all the way down. We're going around the world in 80 days in a hot air balloon, and I will not be dissuaded from that <laughs> idea. Okay. I then can we're going to do a quick that. Iditarod and then go home. <laughs> Drop in for the Iditarod. Real quick. Do the Iditarod back for your honeymoon. Bill would like, be. I'm ready to start training. Bill would actually probably get into it. He would. I could see him getting really into that it. That man likes the gym. But and I like dogs. dogs. So. Yeah. What if he tried but it with cats? <laughs> oh, my God. I did her cat. so in. I did her cat. <laughs> that sounds bad. I lo- you well, need yeah, a lot of cats. It does sound really bad, doesn't it? Okay, this is unhinged. (laughs) So that said, Alaska holds the record for coldest temperatures in the U.S. A low of negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit was recorded on January 23rd, 1971. This took place at Prospect Creek, 
an isolated town just 31 miles away from the city of Coldfoot, (laughs) (laughs) which has a population of 150 people. Really buried the lead with that one. Well, 300 feet. Cold feet live in Coldfoot. (laughs) Presumably. Only two states have a population smaller than Alaska, and those are Vermont and Wyoming. (laughs) Mm. I said you can't reach Juneau by road, so you have to get there from the rest of Alaska by plane or ferry. It's also the only state capital that can't be reached by road. Speaking of moose, there's a lot of moose-specific legislation in Alaska, including laws against pushing a moose from an airplane and giving a moose a beer. I'm glad that those laws exist and am concerned that they have to exist. Yeah, it's like every time I see a sign warning people not to do a certain very obviously stupid thing, I'm like, what happened to require this? Yeah, Yeah. the plain Mm -hmm. one especially is concerning. Also, you got to just stay away from moose in general. They're They're dangerous. Really dangerous. Yeah, Yeah, they'll fuck you up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're fast as fuck. My cousins who live, my aunt and uncle and cousins who live there, one day the boys were like snowboarding in the yard and they have a dog. I forgot the dog's name, but a bull moose came up and started charging the kids and they were strapped to their snowboards. They couldn't get away. And the dog scared the moose away, but it was like (laughs) ready to kill them. That Mm -hmm. could have been really bad. Uh Uh-huh. You could be down a couple cousins. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The state has more coastline than the other 49 states combined. That's wild to think about. In Barrow, Alaska, the longest night lasts for 67 days. Cool. In the summertime, they make up for it with 82 days of uninterrupted sunlight. I want to experience that. Mm-hmm. I really do. Not the darkness, the sunlight. 67 mm-hmm. days, I think, would start to make up for my sleep debt. Right. <laughs> You're not sleeping the whole time. <laughs> You could be. You're not. I would be. Yeah, you're fucking not. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> and because of their long summer days, I love this. Alaska is capable of producing some unusually oversized produce. Oh, Ooh. funny. That's some not- so funny to think about. I know. Some notable specimens that have been harvested in recent years include a 35-pound broccoli. What? <laughs> no A 65-pound cantaloupe. And a 138-pound cabbage. Oh, the my fuck? God. They should have sent a uh, giant pumpkin or whatever. Yeah, I say Goliath wishes. Goliath. Their state fair must be lit. <laughs> yeah. Their oh, ag yeah. building. I want to go to the Alaska State Fair. <laughs> That'd After be the really cool. That'd be so cool. I wonder if they have corn dogs. Two different times of year, I think. But, yeah. Corn dinner odds. <laughs> Uh, Last one, about 1,700 miles south of the geographic North Pole lies the Fairbanks suburb of North Pole, Alaska. Is that where Santa lives? The town's famous Santa Claus house gift shop is open year-round, and thousands of letters addressed to Santa are sent to this zip code every year. And No way! Also, a real-life Santa Claus was even elected to city council. <laughs> I was kidding! <laughs> Holy shit! Isn't that adorbs? That's, That's cute. so cute! I knew that there was, like, a place you could send physical letters to Santa. I didn't realize that was it, but that makes perfect sense. It's yeah. just the post office in this yeah. town. Yeah, 
How fun! <laughs> I know. North Pole, Alaska. That's oh my cute. god, making the most of it. Yeah, but Ugh. again, not the actual North Pole, but right, right. Cute. So those are my Alaska facts. Love I it. love it. Well done. Alaska Thanks. sounds amazing. I totally want to go. Alaska yeah. fucks. Yeah. yeah. That'd yeah. be a cool trip. Well, mm-hmm. maybe if we get enough listeners in Spread the Anchorage. Word. All four listeners yep. that we have in Alaska. I could bribe, justify a I could, live show. I could bribe four people in Fairbanks. All right. That's <laughs> four go. more than I know mm-hmm. in Alaska. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Quick word from our sponsors and then. To the darkness. Yes. To the 80 days of night. 68 days of darkness. Kenyan's 68 days of darkness podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Care of is a subscription service that ships high quality, personalized vitamins, supplements and powders conveniently to your door every month. Oh, and they have a cute little quiz. We love a good quiz. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's fall. You might be shifting into a new routine. Maybe you're pregnant. Who mm. knows? Maybe you're just taking more pills than normal. Maybe you realize but you know that what? you need vitamin B12. Mm. Yeah. I just, I don't hate it. I love how my new vitamin and supplement routine is just making me feel and Care Of makes taking your vitamins on the go so convenient. They've got individual little daily packs that are perfect for travel, also perfect for just like putting out in an open area where you do not forget to take them. Yeah, next to the coffee maker, baby. Yeah, they also, each, mm-hmm. each pack has a little like prompt or question or quote. It's just my favorite part of it. They're also made with uh, plant-based compostable film to help limit the impact on the environment without compromising on the quality and safety of their products. When you take that quiz and it tells you what vitamins they recommend, they like break it down for you. Yeah, they tell you like not just what you should be taking, but like why, why? how it's going yeah. to help you. Mm-hmm. Very informative. So as your needs and goals change, Care Of can help you adjust your routine to match. Their quiz can be retaken at any time to give you updated recommendations. And you can also adjust your habits and routine tracking in the app. They have an adorable little accompanying app. It just it just makes me feel great. It makes me feel like a real adult who has their stuff together. Right? So, so cute. So for 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code GALS50. Once again, for 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter that code GALS50, G-A-L-S-5-0, and treat your wellness. Trade it. Trade it. Psyching herself up to bring us all down. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. My case is, it's, it's... It's weird. It's odd. Okay. Is it unsolved? No. Thank but... God, because I could not. Yeah, but <laughs> but odd. Okay. Okay. So as a teen, Norman Butch Johnson. He hate it. Goes by hate Butch, it. which is a, a ridiculous name. <laughs> moved with his family from California to Alaska in the late 1960s. It was the 60s. Mm-hmm. So they moved to Kiana, a small Inupiaq Eskimo village that was home to just 300 residents. Mm-hmm. Kiana is situated 30 miles north of the Arctic Circle, 
which yeah. kind of <laughs> blew. North? Wouldn't you be going back south? Well, that's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm very glad I'm not alone with that because that like blew my mind. Very shocking. I was like, I don't think that that's possible. And so I looked into it. They would know. Thank God. And basically the the Arctic Circle is a line. Mm -hmm. It's like the border of where the Arctic starts it's not the whole area within the circle oh so it's the the circumference Mm. correct so you can when you get to the nipple of the arctic arctic circle you're north of the the arctic circle that's the north pole right okay so this is the the start of the areola got it (laughs) all right (laughs) so they live within that areola Areola. got it Yikes. Okay, so yeah, but I'm glad I wasn't the only one to be like, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. Thank so you the, for clearing that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the closest real town was uh, Kotzebue, mm-hmm. which had a whopping 1,700 residents at the time. And that was still some 57 miles away from Kiana. Whew. And remote. the bigger. Yeah, remote. And the bigger town's motto was Gateway to the Arctic. Ooh. So she up there. I bet everyone rode snowmobiles. Lots of snowmobiles. Dag sleds. The dog sleds don't come up in my case, which is very sad. But we can just assume they're around. It's assumed. Yeah. So what would possibly compel someone to move from California to this soup's isolated spot? Mm -hmm. Starting a new identity. (laughs) Well, Butch's father, Al, Al Johnson, was a, quote, itinerant carpenter. And Alaska had a booming construction industry at this time in the 60s, and he had gotten a good job as a foreman for the Alaskan Housing Authority. So he was like, sweet, we're leaving California, moving the family up here. I got this great gig. Mm -hmm. And if they're trying to, like, expand, you know. The, the the buildings in they this area. They haven't been a state. They just became a state. Yeah. So, yeah. He's so now they're building. In, he's getting in while the growth is happening. Yeah, it's a good mm-hmm. job. Still, this move is a really drastic change for the family. And Butch is a teenager. Yeah. And he struggled to fit in in this strange new environment. So back in California, he was already struggling in school. He didn't get very good grades. He wasn't considered a troublemaker. Like he didn't like act out or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. He wasn't like causing mayhem. He just was kind of disinterested in school and had performed poorly on a couple IQ tests and mm-hmm. was getting pretty lackluster grades. Yeah. So he dropped out at 16, but he decided to work towards his high school equivalency degree, basically like a GED. A GED, yeah. Once they moved to Alaska. So actually, this was going to be like a, a, a good thing for him. Fresh start. Fresh mm-hmm. start. He's got nothing else to do up there. He's going to try to work towards that high school degree. Commit to his studies. Right. So for Christmas 1969, Butch's dad bought him his first rifle. This was a lever action Winchester 3030, whatever You'll the fuck that is. You'll shoot your eye out. Shoot your eye out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A 30-30 comes up in my case, too. Okay. OMG. Mm-hmm. So Butch had experience, like some hunting experience in California. He mainly had hunted rabbits, mm-hmm. just kind of as like a hobby. Little critters. Yeah. 
But now Al wanted his son to be able to take advantage of all that the Alaskan wilderness had to offer and try his hand at big game hunting, mm. namely caribou. Oh. Because wouldn't that be fun and interesting to try? Sure. So he gets this rifle for Christmas from his dad. And then one month later, Butch is sent off on a big hunting expedition. This is part of his gift from his mm-hmm. dad, along with three local Inupiaq men, Freddie Jackson, Oscar Henry, and Clarence Arnold, who would serve as guides for the expedition because they were local to the area and actually knew what the fuck they were doing. Yeah. Sure. You can't just decide you're going to go hunt caribou. No. Because you got no. a new gun. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. You can't just, like, go solo. You Like, mm-hmm. especially, they did not. You'll die. They didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, Butch's dad is not on the trip with them, which I'm assuming was because he had to work in Anchorage mm-hmm. and couldn't take the time off. Maybe sure. he was planning on joining later on. It's a little bit unclear. I read some articles that made it sound like this was going to be some sort of father-son bonding experience. Mm-hmm. But then when I dug more into it, it was like, wait, no, his dad is not on this trip. Mm-hmm. So, so the dad, what, commuted to Anchorage? Aren't they quite a ways from Anchorage? Yeah, it sounds like his dad was mostly working in Anchorage, but the family is in Kiana. So I okay, I don't have all the details, but yes. Okay. Undoubtedly, though, Butch's father saw this as a chance to boost the sullen teenager's spirits. It was going to be this like fun, sure, big, Alaska exciting adventure. Trip. Yeah. yeah, coming of age, coming mm. of age trip. But what should have been this fun opportunity morphed into a tragic and bizarre ordeal. Oh, dear. I love tragic and bizarre. Oh, God. So on January 25th, 1970, a hired pilot flying a local doctor who was on a wolf hunting trip spotted a man standing in the middle of the frozen tundra below, waving his hands over his head in distress. Oh, scary. Well, actually, at first, the man on the tundra wasn't moving, and the pilot and the doctor. Yeah, exactly. The pilot and the doctor almost shot at him because they were (laughs) hunting wolves, (laughs) and they just saw this dark speck, and they thought it must be a wolf. Oh, God. Okay. Can you imagine? Good thing he waved. (laughs) Well, yeah. So then he, so they almost shot him thinking he was a wolf. And then he saw the plane and then he started waving his arms. And then they were like, oh shit, it's a person. Yeah. Like what is someone doing there? So it was Butch Johnson. He was quite literally in the middle of nowhere. Alone? Alone. Miles from any sign of civilization. Oh God. Don't forget, it's, January. Yeah, it's not just winter. It's like brutal winter. It's January in the Arctic. Yeah. (laughs) The sun is only out for maybe four to five hours per day this time of year. It was 50 below zero. Jesus. Jesus. Sounds like Minneapolis, am I right? Right. (laughs) Blustery. So blustery. With a, quote, dense ice fog in low-lying areas. I'm good. Love an ice fog. I'll stay in the cabin. Thanks. fog. I can't. So the pilot, a man named Harold Lye, made an emergency landing, and then he and the doctor, Dr. Ray Lang, no relish. As far as you know. As far as I know. Helped Butch get into the small plane. 
They noticed immediately that the boy's clothes were spattered with blood. Oh, God. Uh-oh. He clambered in, and then he told them a haunting tale. Oh, no. Oh, God. Butch recounted how the night before, a stranger had come into their hunting camp and murdered all three Inupiaq men, like all of the guides that he was Weird. with. Okay. This is sound. Kenyon and I always do this thing where we don't cover the same case, but they have creepy connections, and I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> Somehow, the unarmed Butch had managed to escape and had been running all night, terrified that the killer was still following him, and he was just hoping to make it across the tundra alone all the way back to Kiana for help. Doesn't add up. Also, even if you're in a plane, don't pick up hitchhikers. (laughs) Pick up this hitchhiker. As soon as the 19-year-old finished telling his story, he passed out utterly exhausted. So now he is sound sound asleep in the back of this plane. Mm -hmm. Harold the pilot flew back towards Kiana, but he and Dr. Lang were uneasy. Mm -hmm. Clearly something horrible had happened because this kid is out alone, covered in blood. Whatever. And yet, there was something about Butch's story that didn't ring true to either of them. He's a catfish. How it far, ain't right. How far from Kiana were they? I don't know. Okay. But it was definitely less than a day's snowmobile ride. Because okay. They, okay. Had, they had left and gone out to the hunting camp on snowmobiles the day before. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't so like... Hundreds of miles. No, but still would have been quite a, a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not impossible, I guess. I I mean, clearly not, because he did it. Well, he didn't make it all the way back. Well, not all the way back, but it he was wouldn't. It's in not the like process. it's not like he was like, I just have to cross Siberia. You know, sure. like it was feasible, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Harold, the pilot, and the doctor are like this. Something this is sketch. Something is this is really sketch. And so Harold even surreptitiously grabbed his hatchet mm. from his cargo part of the plane, like from his mm-hmm. like emergency kit, mm-hmm. and kept it next to him while he flew back, just in case he needed like a weapon cool. on board the Listen plane. Listen to your gut. So when they get back to town, they drop off Butch to get checked out by a nurse and rest, and then they immediately notify the state trooper, a man named Bob Boatwright which is like such a great name for a state trooper. <laughs> yeah, in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Bob that Boatwright. Guy, that guy needs to man a lighthouse. Yep. I would trust Bob Boatwright with my life. Me too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know nothing else about him. <laughs> so you don't need to. That same day, the pilot, Harold, flies back towards the hunting camp like where, that Butch had described where it was. Mm-hmm. And from the plane, he sees the body of one man lying dead outside of a tent in the snow. And this was a chilling confirmation that, at the very least, the boy wasn't making the whole thing up. Right, someone was dead. Something, there was a hunting camp, and someone was dead there. Mm -hmm. Some shit had gone down. But by this point, it's almost dark, and it's not safe for the pilot to land, so he he turns around and flies back to Kiana. Mm Mm-hmm. The next day, Bob Boatwright, my real father, and (laughs) (laughs) I am claiming it. He is my real father. Kenyon Boatwright. Kenyon Boatwright. (laughs) 
And Kotsubue Chief of Police William Stevens go to the clinic to check on Butch and interview him because he's like recovering, you know, coming to yeah fluids and heat and whatever. Then at daybreak, they fly to the hunting camp to investigate. So they I picture Butch at the chalet post fiasco with his hot chocolate, his his ruddy cheeks and his hat, his cute outfit, his braids. Yeah, his braids, (laughs) his fair isle sweater, (laughs) cable knit. (laughs) Good for him. He's earned it. Toggles. So then when the sun finally comes up, because, again, it's only out from for like four to five hours a day. It's not it's not like the sun rises at 6 a.m., whatever. So while it's still dark when they can't fly, they interview him. Then the sun finally rises and they can finally fly out to the hunting camp and investigate. So the crime scene is gruesome and chaotic. Mm. First off, it's a fucking hunting camp. Mm-hmm. So there are gear and rifles and Million shell weapons. casings and mm-hmm. weapons and knives for gutting the animal. Like, there's yeah. shit everywhere. Oops, all murder weapons. <laughs> yeah, there's blood. Some of it's animals. Some of it's human. Jeez. Clean up. <laughs> Not to mention several gutted caribou all strung up around the place. Mm-hmm. Still, a pretty clear picture of the crime began to coalesce for the investigators. 43-year-old Freddie Jackson was lying face down in front of the tent. He is the one that um, the pilot had seen from the air. Okay. He'd been shot multiple times, first as the blood trail indicated inside the tent, mm. and then as he stumbled outside, he was shot at least two more times. And then and was he a guide? Because he's considerably older than mm-hmm. Bush. All, all of the three victims are Inupiaq men and the guides. Okay, okay. So it was three guides and only Butch? Butch. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then possibly this stranger. Uh-huh. Butch, the like 16-year-old. Yeah. I just figured 19, maybe they, yeah. there would be other young men on this trip with these right. guides, but it's just him. Okay. It's, yeah. Clarence Arnold, 39, was face down on the floor inside the tent. 64-year-old Oscar Henry Sr.'s body was in the back of the tent In addition to being shot, he had been hit in the head several times with a heavy object. There were bullet holes going through the tent and footprints going all the way around it, which indicated that the shooter had basically circled the outside of the tent while shooting (sighs) into it. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. And then when Freddie Jackson emerged wounded, the shooter shot him again until he went down. And then I guess... And the investigators, I think, determined that the killer then entered the tent to make sure that the other men were dead after Freddie Jackson had wasn't dead, clearly. Yep. And then possibly struck Oscar Henry Sr. over the head with something just to be safe and make sure there were no witnesses. Okay. Or that they were all dead, basically. Right, right. So he just hit him for good measure. Yeah. Well, just maybe he wasn't dead from the, the shooting and... Mm-hmm. and uh. Now it's close range and whatever weapon you're using. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So by the time Boatwright and Stevens got back to Kiana that evening, word about the shocking murders had already spread throughout the tight-knit community Mm -hmm. with suspicion already falling squarely on the lone survivor, Butch. Mm -hmm. 
So the three Inupiaq victims were all well-liked in the village, but nobody knew this outsider, this like white teenager. Like mm-hmm. he from he, California. From California. He had just come from nowhere. Yeah. And like no, what it's the no fuck? wonder they don't trust. Uh, they're not taking his story at face value. Yeah, and these three guides, like, their job is to, like, go out into the wilderness. Right. They can hold their own. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, what the fuck? This came out of nowhere. Also, like, four guys go into a tent and only one comes out. Yeah, it's not looking normal. Yeah. And if, like, all these people were so thoroughly made sure to be killed Mm -hmm. and this kid gets away. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, it's not looking, it's this, not adding up. This kid with, like, no skills. Right, yeah. exactly. Was yeah. he, like, uh, taking like a poop you're... in the woods? Right. Right. So there's also a language barrier between Butch and, well, Butch and the investigators and then the victims, Inupiaq loved ones, mm-hmm. because they- Butch most, and everyone else. Basi- yeah. yeah. Butch yeah. only speaks English. Yeah. Right. So safe to say tensions were high. Mm-hmm. Boatwright and Stevens knew that they needed a community liaison officer and to like prevent shit going totally off the rails. And so they requested help from state trooper Lori Lori Skewer. Skirch. Who was Nailed the first it. Inupiaq trooper and was actually from Kiana. So, like, could not have found a better community mm-hmm. liaison officer, basically. So they're like, okay, thank God we've got that locked down. Now, after looking at the crime scene, Butch is officially a person of interest. Mm-hmm. And he's interviewed again. And this time, though, his father is present. So Butch is more forthcoming this time around with details. He says that on January 23rd, he left Kiana on a snowmobile with Freddie Jackson. So Freddie's driving and he's literally just holding on to him. Mm -hmm. Clarence Arnold and Oscar Henry were already at the campsite and they were already like setting up the tent. The following morning, the hunters saw a group of caribou and they sped towards them in the snowmobiles. And Butch Mm -hmm. is again riding on the back of Freddie's sled, just holding on. Mm -hmm. But in this chase to get to the caribou... Butch fell off the snowmobile. Oh, dear. Okay. And rather than stopping the hunt to turn around and and get him back on the snowmobile, which would have basically meant that... They'd lose the whole day. They'd lose the whole day. Yeah. And all their game. Yeah. Yeah. The three men continued on chasing the caribou because I think they were really close to getting it. So Yeah, I, it's like, then we can come back and get him and he's gonna he knows what to do out here. He's going to be okay. It's or like just that's like, kind of like protocol. Tight. Yeah. Like, you just like wait there. We'll be right back. Right. We're just going to, we don't want to lose the kill to get Can't him. really blame them. Right. Well, that was probably, they've clearly protocol. hunted together before. That was probably their protocol. Yeah. But he didn't necessarily know that. Okay. So, like I said, I'm assuming they plan to pick him back up after the successful kill, but also he didn't necessarily know that that was their intention. In his mind, he's a 19 year old and. He falls off the snowmobile, so he's embarrassed. And the language ma- barrier. And the language yeah, barrier. Okay. And then they fucking don't stop. Come back. Mm-hmm. And t- or don't stop, yeah. Yeah. And he's just like uh, out on the tundra. Freaking out. Yeah. So he ended up walking in the direction that they'd sped off in. And mm-hmm. by the time he reached them, they had just caught the caribou, so they hadn't had time to turn around yet. Mm-hmm. And he was pissed. Yeah. Get over he, yourself. Well, he just <sighs> felt that they had just abandoned him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which I can't really like 
fault him for being freaking out and being upset, but obviously don't murder a bunch of people. Right. Right. It's like there are also, ways like, of dealing with it. Probably half of the reason of this for this trip wasn't necessarily killing the caribou. It was like dressing it and doing all this, you know, all right. the other stuff involved in hunting. It's not all just the killing. I don't part. think he was upset about missing, missing the kill. Out. He was yeah. just upset about being that, left. Yeah. yeah and that's and was what I imagine. Yeah. But according to Butch, he eventually cooled off. They all have dinner. And then another Inupiaq man, a, a different Clarence. So there's one Clarence Arnold is one of the victims. But briefly, another guy comes and his name is Clarence Wood. Mm -hmm. And he joins them for dinner. But then he doesn't stay at the campsite. He leaves. And then the original group go to bed. But then Butch repeats the story about someone pulling up on a snowmobile and shooting, and he claimed that he was still in the tent when the first shots were fired, but he managed to escape and hid in some nearby bushes. Mm -hmm. And he said that the killer was a total stranger. It wasn't Clarence Wood. And even though it was a stranger, he said he would be able to identify him, even though he was like running for his life outside of the tent and hiding in bushes. And it was nighttime and it was dark. Mm, and okay. he doesn't know anybody else anyway. Right. Yep. But he was like, yeah, I could identify him. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, tensions in the village are mounting and there's suddenly hostility, not just towards Butch and his father, the newcomers, but also towards Kiana's other few white residents because it mm -hmm. was just like spiraling and people were like taking sides. Mm -hmm. So investigators recognize the situation and they send the boy and his father to Anchorage for further questioning just to kind of diffuse the situation. Yeah, get, get them, them out of town. Out of there. They don't want yeah. anybody like, you know, they right. don't want Take any vigilante justice. Right. Mm hmm. So investigators then talked to Clarence Wood, the, the dinner visitor, who reiterated how mad Butch had been after being left, after he fell off the sled. Mm -hmm. And he said that, like, the Inupiaq hunters were just talking to each other in their language, their language, which I think is Yupik. Mm -hmm. And Butch was maybe, like, feeling like they were talking about him if mm -hmm. they were, like, talking and he couldn't understand them. And then they were, like, laughing. Mm-hmm. He said that Butch was like really sullen and didn't like just talk to anybody and was just kind of like sitting by himself. Mm -hmm. Very teenagery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in Anchorage, Butch was interviewed for a third time, this time by new investigators, Trooper Sergeant Tom Anderson, Corporal Dean Bivens, and Sergeant Bill Nix. His father was again present for these new interviews. Bill Nix played the bad cop role in the interrogation, and he basically just called Butch a liar a bunch mm -hmm. and, like, demanded that he start telling the truth. And this worked because it took just <laughs> minutes for these new troopers to break Butch down and get him Saying to... like a canary. This kid is an idiot. He's a kid. Yeah. I know. He's an idiot. Yeah. Get him to confess that there was no stranger and that he had, in fact, murdered all three men. Mm-hmm. Over boy, being embarrassed for falling off the sled. Mm -hmm. The boy didn't offer much in terms of motive. He just described how in the middle of the night he'd gotten up, exited the tent to pee, then grabbed a rifle and emptied it into the tent. Wow. Then Freddy came out and Butch grabbed a second rifle and shot him dead. Butch then tried to get away with one of the snowmobiles, but couldn't get it started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. instead. Cue the Benny Hill theme. Yeah. <sighs> So instead, he grabbed yet another rifle and started walking. 
But even this new confession didn't seem quite right to investigators based on evidence at the scene. The troopers determined that things had happened just a little bit differently. I'm actually impressed that they even continued to look deeper into this when so often Mm -hmm. we hear about investigators who just go, okay, confession, we're done. Mm -hmm. Don't need any more information. I think they just wanted the facts, even though yeah. I don't think it materially really changed, like, the sentencing or no, whatever. No, but, but I think that's the way that you should yeah. be fucking doing yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy that this is happening. Right. So they think that uh, after Butch had fired into the tent, both Freddie and Oscar had survived. But when Butch heard Freddie trying to start the snowmobile, mm. he ran back and shot him. Mm-hmm. Then he saw that Oscar was still alive, so he beat him in the head with the butt of his rifle. And then he weirdly buried that rifle, but they found it later. He is just so disorganized and freaking out at this point. Pathetic. Yeah, it's fucking pathetic. And these poor people fucking all lost their lives because of his bullshit. So Butch's trial started one year after the murders in January of 1971, which is also the coldest uh, coldest temp on record. Cold was in Alaska? January 1971. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Psychiatrist J. Ray Langdon, no relation, testified. <laughs> you just I love, love that. I love getting Amanda like that with those callbacks. You're such a bit. You always get me when I get a sip in my mouth, too. And it's red wine. It's like not good to snort. God. So the psychiatrist testified for the defense, saying that Butch had suffered a psychotic lapse and was, quote, divorced from reality at the time of the murders. During his psychiatric assessments, Butch had talked at length about how disturbing it had been watching the Inupiaq hunters butcher and dress their kill, especially when they cut open a female caribou and there was an unborn calf inside the carcass. Okay. So he just was like really freaked out. Yeah, I mean, that would be traumatic, but you're out, you're on a hunting trip. I don't know what you expected. Langdon and another psychiatrist, Barbara Ewer, said that the following things contributed to Butch's psychotic break. The extreme cold weather, which he was not prepared used for. to or prepared mm-hmm. for. The language barrier with the Inupiaqs, who spoke their native Yupik language, leaving mm-hmm. Butch to feel left out, slash possibly paranoid that they were essentially shit-talking about him. And the blood and carnage of the caribou hunt, because, again, he had only ever hunted rabbits before. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, kind of important fact, which, like, doesn't come up in a lot of the coverage of this, but like is essential mm. is that Butch had a history of mental illness, including schizophrenia. Mm. Oh, there's that, mm-hmm. which was worsened under stress. Sure. Okay. So his father thought that time in the wilderness would help improve his self confidence. Oh, my dear. No, he needs therapy and medication. Mm hmm. And not a highly traumatic, traumatic and stressful getaway with outward no, bound. with no family or or friends present who can who a understand his diagnosis and can assist him when he's feeling stressed and can even really communicate tether, tether him with to him and tether reality. reality. Fucking a yeah. The Inupiaq hunters spoke English. They just well, preferred course. amongst themselves to speak their own language, like right. anyone would. Yeah. Of course. 
But I that yeah, and that's yeah. like I'm not blaming them right. for anything. It's right. just they put the the dad sent this boy woefully yeah. unprepared. Exactly. On a trip that would be I think intense for even a skilled hunter, not a 19-year-old transplant from California who just got his first fucking gun. Yep. Like it was what? Too much. With alone, just him and these older guides. Mhm. Dude. Yeah. Come on. So the psychiatrists testified, quote, he was already insecure as to who he was. Having lost contact with his culture and his geography, he felt displaced. He had absolutely no preparation for this caribou hunt. Mm-hmm. He went from zero to 60. To mm-hmm. 60,000. Yeah. To, oh, we're cleaning and dressing and, oh, a pregnant caribou. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I've, I'd be freaking out. Freaking out. Still, it's 1971, and the judge, Judge C.J. Okipinti, is not here for the temporary insanity defense. Sure. Butch is found guilty of three counts of second-degree murder. He is sentenced to life in prison without a set date of when he would be eligible for parole. But the judge also ordered that he be given psychiatric treatment while in prison. Mm -hmm. Butch ended up serving most of his time in his native California, which I don't know why. Maybe Probably they just good like good for him though. Better for him. Yeah. Maybe there was some kind of petition or stipulation of his sentencing or I don't know or maybe they just didn't have like a space and enough resources. facilities in Alaska at the time which is possible. Well, you're, when you go to prison, you're moved around the country. Yeah. So right. maybe they just saw an opening in California and were like, let's get him in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's sentenced to life in prison without a set date for parole. Shockingly, he is released on parole after serving just four years. Wow. That's... Which I'm sure contributes, like, the fact that his three victims were indigenous, I'm sure, is part of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's 19. Uh, I think he did have a psychotic break. I think he did probably need... But, like, still, he murdered three people. Right. You can appreciate the extenuating circumstances and still recognize the like blatant privilege that yeah. is at play. Yeah. And that's just the reality. Yeah. If he had murdered th- three white women. Yep. In Absolutely Kiana, not four years. Yeah. No. Exactly. So after his release, Norman Butch Johnson stayed in California the rest of his life. He got married. He had two kids. He had a totally, like, normal Normal life life. after this. Mm -hmm. When he died in 2017 at the age of 68, his obituary, not surprisingly, did not mention anything about the murders. It says euphemistically, quote, at a young age, he went to live with his parents in Anchorage, Alaska. After a short stay, he moved back to California where he met the love of his life. After Mm -hmm. a short stay. Brief. Why was it brief? (laughs) Why? Why was it brief? (laughs) And that is my case. Wow. Weird. That is really fucking weird. I got a lot of my info. I mean, obviously, all my sources will be on the blog as they always are. But I got a lot of my info from a book by Tom Brennan called Murder at 40 Below. True crime stories from Alaska. Nice. It's also just such a sad commentary on like. And I mean, we still have a long way to go now, but this was a mental health crisis in the 60s. You know, this 
I don't for you know I'm not condoning what this kid did by any stretch of the imagination, but he certainly did not have the resources at his disposal to properly manage his condition, especially and not then, in that rural of an area. And yeah, and then he was sent into extremely stressful circumstances. Yeah, and it just it's it's just so fucking senseless and heartbreaking. And this could have been avoided in so many ways. Let's not gift teenagers rifles. And let's and, just not do it. It's just like, or just uh, like push you into this new culture so suddenly and with no cultural competence or really any competence, even over your own mental health struggles that are completely valid. Yeah. He had never even met the three guides before. No, it was a little much. It was much. It was very much. It was very much. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Oh God. That's so fucking sad. Yep. Great. You're welcome. Cool. Cool. Sponsors? Yeah. Iditarod.com. <laughs> Frogbox.com. There is nothing worse than suffering with an uncomfortable bra. And honestly, any time of year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, Honey Love has revolutionized the bra game. You can upgrade from traditional bras that use uncomfortable underwire. It's 2023, people. Yeah. Never again. We're not going back. Positively medieval. Bulky (laughs) fabrics that trap heat. Anachronistic. Life is too short. Yeah. Way too short. But Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. Plus, they're made with fabric that is so soft, it feels like a second skin. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. It is so next level comfortable. You will forget you're wearing it. I have fallen asleep in mine, for real. Same. And, and for a limited time only, you can get Honey Love on sale. You can get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com forward slash wine. So you support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash wine. Tell us more, Kenyon. Oh, I just, there's so much to say. Uh, if you're tired of maybe bras that like bulge in the back or on the mm-hmm. sides. Oh, the sides. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was always a problem for me. Uh, not with Honey Love. Honey Love's bras are designed with back smoothing fabric to prevent that bra bulge. Just keep you smooth in your shirts. High and tight, baby. <laughs> they also have a relaxed lounge bra, which uh, I highly recommend. It is their V bra. It offers the support of a traditional bra, but without, like we said, the underwire. I mm-hmm. can't do that anymore. Uh-uh. No. That's a young girl's game. <laughs> it is. A naive girl's <laughs> game. Yeah. So this V bra is designed to lift and separate with molded cups. So it doesn't give you that, like, uniboob effect Mm. it's like it just it's how you're supposed to look and it doesn't stop there honey love has more than just bras they have incredibly comfortable shapewear they have great tanks i have some of their tanks that i wear like for undershirts and Mm -hmm. they have amazing leggings for everyday support they do Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and get 20% off at honeylove.com slash wine, W-I-N-E. Use our exclusive link and get 20% off, honeylove.com slash wine. Cinched, snatched, and lifted. It is hot person season. Thanks to Honey Love. And treat your babies. Treat them. Treat your babies. Ready to go? Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
So my case this week is one of Alaskan legends, but also has like certainly nuggets of truth. Get it? <laughs> truth. Gold, golden nuggets. Gold nuggets. <laughs> and frankly, feels like a good for her moment. But we'll get to it. So in the early 1900s, the Alaskan wilderness, as we know, was still home to indigenous communities. And the Alaskan gold rush was drawing the whites to the area in a giant line that Lucy Great. showed us earlier. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> a giant anthill line. Yep. And in the, the specific area that we are in, for my case, they were pretty bummed to find that gold was not plentiful. But trapping certainly was. And now we had settlers encroaching on territory in the Bristol Bay watershed and Kuskowim River that had been held by the Yupik peoples for generations. Mm-hmm. It's also worth noting that around this time, Spanish flu was like petering out, but it was still very much a thing. Mm-hmm. And the risk of infection by these settlers to the indigenous population was extremely high. Yeah. And so we can only imagine that there were plenty of feelings about these new colonizing neighbors moving in and profiting off of their land. Yeah. In Ugh. in mass numbers at this Great. point. Ugh. Yep. Build yeah. a wall. Yep. Yes, literally. <laughs> so enter Klutuk, a Yupik man who was a formidable presence. He had land in the Bristol Bay watershed, and he made his living as a trapper and fisherman on the land and was not down with trespassers White or otherwise. Like, did not want anybody fucking with his his shit. shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not in my backyard. Yep. So this is where the line between true crime and legend really starts to blur. Like, this was a real person. Blur it, baby. Blur Blur it. it. Blur it. This was a real person who, as, like, record can show, did kill at least a couple people. Okay. (laughs) How many is totally unknown and like every fucking go with the bigger number and then double it i mean (laughs) uh, it's like every number is different so it's alleged that beginning in 1919 where quote it is said his career of crime started by killing two natives and announcing he would kill two more subsequent events indicated that he did not stop at that From that time until his death, he had an entire upper Nushagak district under his control. After at least one trespasser was dispatched on his land, Mm -hmm. rumors began to spread of a boogeyman of sorts, a notorious, quote, mad trapper, standing several feet tall, dressed head to toe in furs, and accompanied by a lone black dog. Several feet tall, meaning tall or not tall. Like, like, like several feet taller Four than like four feet a- tall. <laughs> okay, it's like I think we know like, what they mean. Like when, my friend, when my friend Katie was like, "Oh, someday I just hope to make to earn three figures." Three figures, a hundred dollars. Thinking of the three figures, sure. Six before figures. the th- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. Three figures. So, but it's funny dream. that you mentioned this because while he was rumored to be like a towering giant, <laughs> his eventual—I guess I shouldn't say capture, but like actual reports and sightings of him, and then potentially who they thought he was found dead. We'll get to it. He was 
confirmed to be more like five six or five seven and like 140 pounds so me in high school yeah so like people in this day and age like wouldn't even swipe right on him on tinder because every girl apparently wants everyone to be over six feet anyway so the Cusco Times wrote that it was believed that he'd murdered 20 or more people and that, quote, through some system unknown to the whites, he kept himself constantly in touch with what was going on throughout the district. He seemed to know when any man entered his territory and he resented all such intrusions. Disdaining to use the weapons known to civilization for his own needs, he shot his game with bow and arrow, but he packed a 30-30 rifle for his human prey. Okay, well, that's, like, noble as fuck, though, Mm -hmm. actually. I know. I don't... I'm not, honestly, upset with Kluge. I kind of get it. He just kind of set himself up as, like, I'm the lord of this land. Yeah, and leave me the fuck alone and stay the fuck off my land and we won't have a problem. He was a conservationist, really. Pretty much. (laughs) Right. But it wasn't... Like, he owned some of it, but then it sounds like he kind of spread his wings a little bit. Um, But he killed the white people to make sure there weren't that many. That's what hunters, conservation hunters say. There's too many white people run amok, they'll starve to death. To be clear, he's not (laughs) hunting white people. traffic accident, (laughs) yep. Jesus fucking Christ. He killed anyone white or otherwise who would come onto his land and it just happened to be fucking white people that were like doing it more. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Figure it out. (laughs) So like I said, while we aren't certain how many individuals died at Klutuk's hand, he certainly struck measurable fear in the area and even deterred industry from being like developed there for a while Mm -hmm. at the risk of being killed. Yeah. I wouldn't want to set up shop. Right. So from OutdoorLife.com, quote, the commercial fishery in Bristol Bay was attracting a wave of foreign fishermen and cannery workers to the coast. Further inland, investors were eyeing large mining developments. But besides the wild country providing its own inherent difficulties, the legend of Klutuk was stalling mining development. Sightings of Klutuk showed up from Cook Inlet to the upper Kuskokwim River. If a prospector or trapper disappeared or was murdered, it was immediately blamed on Klutuk. So, like, the numbers... definitely becoming, yeah, legend, yeah. Yes, the numbers got absolutely inflamed because literally anyone that would go missing, wind up dead... Yeah, a lot of people are gonna die of accidents or... Yes, freeze to death. Right. But it was all, you know, it was all Klutuk blamed on him. He was costing both the territory of Alaska and corporations lots of money. Good for Uh her. (laughs) So years passed with the looming threat of Klutuk ever present. In 1927, a trapper and fisherman by the name of Andrew Kelovich goes into this area to hunt and trap. And this man knew the legends of Klutuk, but was confident that he could handle himself. And I think, and also just from what I read, Possibly the type to be like, hold my beer about such emasculating things as being scared off by threat of murder. Yeah, he wanted to prove himself. He did. So he rounded up a friend and a guide and went camping along the Nishagak River in the spring to set traps for small game. Unfortunately for them, they wandered onto Klutuk's land during the trip. One night, the three were huddled around a fire enjoying their catch for the day when Klutuk himself emerged from the darkness flanked by his dog. (gasps) The black dog. The dog, Mm -hmm. which towered over him. Yeah. 
<laughs> which towered over his meager Standing five foot several seven. feet tall. Several feet tall. <laughs> the guys spotted him first and knew full well who he was. And the guy basically is like, yo, we got to get the fuck out of here and takes off running, followed it's closely also the by. wilderness. So it's not like you like know when you cross into someone's land. There's not right. like a rope line. No. So the guide takes off after warning them, like, we got to get out of here. The friend also runs, and they just leave Andrew to face Klutuk alone, who could have run. <laughs> and, but he was like, I got no, this. I have huge balls. I'm going to. Whatever. I'm going to deal with this. So the friend and the guide get all the way back to town. They run to their boat. They get on their boat. They get back to town. They alert whatever minimal authorities in 1927 in this territory, which is probably more like a wake up whatever sheriff is in town. And Colonel then boat right senior. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then round up the buddies that are awake or whatever type deal. The next day, they venture back to the campsite in the safety of daylight, only to find Andrew dead with an axe in his back. Klutuk had apparently struck again. Some retellings of the story allude to the fact that Andrew actually went intentionally into Klutuk's territory with the specific purpose of baiting and hunting him. Yeah, I don't feel bad for Andrew. No. In this version of the tale, the three men had found Klutuk's camp and attempted to apprehend him, only discovered that their boat that they had taken to get to where they could hike to their campsite was not big enough for all four of them to make the return trip with their game or whatever. So Andrew instructed his friend and their guide to go to town, get a bigger boat, drop mm. off their haul, We're gonna and come back. Boat. Yeah, mm-hmm. only to return to a dead Andrew and no sign of Klutuk. Mm. So while that version of the story can't be confirmed, it's like certainly not outside the realm of possibility. And from what I saw about Andrew, it seems kind of like on brand for him to or- have been like, this legend is bullshit. I'm going to fucking go deal with it. Andrew was annoying as fuck and the two friends axed him in the back and then they were like let's blame it on Klutuk. Klutuk did it weird. Honestly if that's what they did it fucking worked. Yeah. (laughs) So territory authority officer Frank Wiseman who went up to the area in January of 1928 to investigate this murder was called to do so almost right after the murder took place in 1927, but travel to Alaska was so challenging at that time. You can't just, like, take a flight because mm-hmm. it was 1928. Like, yes, there were planes, but it wasn't, like, yeah, there were, like barely booking on Delta.com. Yeah. <laughs> so it took, like, months for him to even arrive there. So when he does arrive... He had to use a skilled guide with a team of sled dogs. I did rod his ass to conduct the investigation and access the campsite. So after all this time that it takes to even get to Alaska, and then the grueling task of sledding and hiking to the site in the dead of winter, no. he finds <laughs> nothing of use yeah. in terms of evidence because they can't. God they don't have like forensic it. teams. Yeah. So he finds fuck all at this alleged campsite. <laughs> Yeah. And just you goes got back axed in the back. What do you think? You're months later going to find footprints. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And regarding footprints, yeah. it's what also part wrong with people. People are dumb, but it's also part of the legend that Klutuk may have had made himself like mucklucks from the, the feet of bears that he had trapped or oh, killed. Cool. So that he wouldn't leave. 
human he footprints. He would stay warm, but he also wouldn't leave human footprints. How great is that? I love that. Yeah, I, I again, that's just something I read, but there's so much like legend around this. With it. We're going with it. Is I mean, I, this guy lived in the fucking Alaskan wilderness and survived off of, like, thrived off of the land. It wouldn't surprise me. If Leonardo DiCaprio me. can do it. Who can't? Yeah, Clutuck can do it. So, Officer Wiseman is like, God fucking damn it, goes back to his temporary home in Dillingham, Alaska, where they kind of have this home base town. So, I mean, uh, I can't even fucking imagine going through all of that, getting to this campsite, looking around for 10 minutes and going, yeah, I got nothing, and then just fucking (laughs) hauling ass back. This guy just wanted an excuse to get, to go on a little trip. I mean, he was kind of made to go. They they were like, you're the only, like, territory officer available. You got to go investigate this crime. I don't know how you're much like, you wanted to know, do this it. This Andrew guy died. Right. And meanwhile, Klutuk knew the land so well that he could easily evade these, like, uninitiated white folks who were investigating him and also continue to kill trappers who came too close. So he allegedly took another victim in the spring of 1928, a man named Jack Aho, who had gone into the wilderness to set his own winter traps. But when spring arrived, he never checked in at like the trading posts to sell his winter's worth of game. Mm-hmm. So people were like, where the fuck is Jack? Mm-hmm. So Officer Wiseman immediately suspects Klutuk and takes a team to Aho's campsite to investigate Once again, all they really find are, like, empty cabins and meaningless remnants of a camper, like some clothing, some cooking utensils, but nothing else that would even really indicate a crime. This guy's just gone. Mm -hmm. Because Wiseman's team kept coming up empty, reinforcements were sent in 1931 to bolster the investigation. Now, again, keep in mind that we actually don't know how some of these missing trappers died, went missing. We we have no idea. Yeah, it's the and, Alaskan wilderness. A lot yeah, of things be can hun- happen. Yeah, it could be a hundred things. Every death in this area at this point is being attributed to Klutuk, whether there's evidence <laughs> of that or not. Right. They're just like, he fucking did it. So around the time the new team of investigators arrived in Dillingham and they started this investigation, they came upon an abandoned campground consisting of a few empty cabins. And in one of those cabins was the frozen body of a man who I guess fit Klutuk's description. Like he was an indigenous man. He had a similar stature. He was quite four feet tall. (laughs) He had, you know, he was wearing the like kind of iconic at that point furs. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, which could have accounted for any number of indigenous trappers in that area at the time. But they're like, that's Klutuk. We got him. He died of natural causes. It's all done. done. Don't send me out here anymore to investigate shit. We're (laughs) fucking over it. The legend of Klutuk is over. You can set up your businesses now. Yeah. (laughs) Going home. We can mine for gold now. Everyone's safe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But obviously others have called bullshit on this, especially one absolutely problematic character, Fred Hatfield, a grizzled prospector who spent the better part of 20 years as a trapper near Klutuk territory, having moved from Maine to Alaska in 1933 when he was 23 years old. Now, this would be... smell this man's beard. Yeah. Girl, mm-hmm. you just wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he sucks. This would be two years after authorities declared Klutuk dead, but... Fred is like, no, I'm the self-proclaimed killer of Klutuk. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. So at 81 years old in 1991, 
Fred is enjoying his retirement in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he speaks. Plutuck sneaks up behind him. I with fucking an ass. wish. Oh my god, I wish. He gives You're an on interview. You're my territory. Yep. It extends to North Carolina now, bitch. It's all mine. God bless him. He had like written a book about that's like you know pretty popular among fucking like old white men who like mm-hmm. to read about the Alaskan wilderness. Mm-hmm. But he'd written a book about like My his dad. time prospecting. <laughs> Your he dad owns it. it. He, he might have been Check Sean's it. shelf. And he does mention yeah. Klutuk and like his claims that he took care of Klutuk, etc. So he is in Charlotte, North Carolina. He gives an interview to the press about his time in Alaska. So to round out my statement, I'm going to read excerpts from an article by Jerry Bledsoe from Greensboro.com because the quotes from Fred Hatfield (laughs) are unhinged. unhinged. Okay. (laughs) During those years, he survived attacks by grizzly bears and dangerous encounters with ice and snow. We're talking about Klutuk? We're talking about Fred. Fred Fred. is he. He's he's reminiscing. It's his memoir. He watched a partner go insane, saw many men killed, and killed one himself with careful premeditation. Put Fred in jail. He's confessing. I know, right? The man Hatfield claims to have killed was called Klutuk, a murderer of almost mythical proportions who roamed the Tikchik Lakes area for years, robbing and killing white trappers and natives alike. Hatfield says that Klutuk stalked him for two years before he set a trap for him when he departed the lake country for the summer of 1938. So again, by 1938, allegedly Klutuk had been dead for like Mm -hmm. five plus years, leaving behind a can of tea and a jar of sugar laced with strychnine Mm. that he just knew Klutuk would steal. He, He returned a few months later, he says, to find the sugar jar opened and the murderer's skeletal remains a short distance from his cabin. So he was paranoid. He poisoned his own thing, left it out, and literally laid a trap for a someone. Someone. Anyone. A human. Anyone. And it could have been anybody. But an article in the October issue of Alaska Magazine calls Hatfield's account into question. The author, Tom Bell, an Anchorage newspaper reporter, quotes other trappers who say Klutuk died before Hatfield even arrived in Alaska, a claim supported by an old newspaper clipping. And now I will be using my best senile old white man voice to represent Fred Hatfield. (laughs) I got to get into character. (laughs) I knew those boys he interviewed, Hatfield says of the article. I don't know why in hell he didn't interview any men. So he's like discrediting this this oh reporter who's like it wasn't Fred. It was that guy was gone a long time ago. Enough with these young these boys. Whippersnappers. You don't know what I've seen. <laughs> Where's my social security? My social security card. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the guy I killed was gonna cut my throat. Uh, sir, you laid a trap and left. <laughs> and then came back months later. Yeah. And I didn't give a damn who it was, Hatfield says. I yeah. couldn't care less. I know it was Klutuk. Klutuk always wore bear claw mucklucks made out of the hind feet of a grizzly bear. That's what this boy had on when I found him. So I guess it was Klutuk. I don't give a damn anyway. I love how he just undermines his own story. All in the same breath in he the just same poisoned interview. Poisoned a stranger. Poisoned a stranger <laughs> and never saw a day in court for it. 
wrote oh a book about God. it. Oh, my God. Alaska has no statute of limitations on murder, and a prosecutor has asked for a state police investigation of the killing. Hatfield scoffs at that. <laughs> Investigate what? You defend your life, they could fly at it. That's just a bunch of crap. You'd think the young guys would go in there and trap, he says. The place is alive with Martin, but they don't. People don't go out and do things anymore, damn it. I guess they're just afraid of something. Too bad. I'm too damn old or I'd go back in there. God, if I was 20 years younger, I'd be back in there now. God damn it. When you lose your youth, you've lost everything, you know? Go to bed. That's a real. That is. Oh my God. That is a. Nobody hunts the the Martin anymore. (laughs) If I I was young and in my 60s, I'd go back. I was 81. (laughs) If I was 20 years younger, people don't go out and do things anymore. They're all on their boards. They're all on their hoverboards. That's what my grandpa called my mom's iPad. Look that up on your board. (laughs) On your board? Poppy! (laughs) So now they're all on their computer boards. Family calls them boards. That's fucking amazing. Driving their vehicles. What is your board? Driving their space cars and consulting their computer boards. God damn it. This is a senile old murderer who poisoned probably an innocent indigenous person or trapper or hunter. Someone of small stature. It was probably a child who was trying to, like, sneak some sugar and just well, got but poisoned. but could be the only person to ever make boots out of bare feet. Yeah. It makes sense to make boots out of bare feet. It really does. Also, anyway. he's probably full of shit. He's absolutely full of shit. And despite the fact that his quotes are gold, he is not shockingly at all deeply problematic. And in the article, I talked about how like in his home where the reporter was conducting this interview, he had like proudly displayed photos of himself basically desecrating and like holding up as trophies a mass grave of indigenous Alaskans who had been slaughtered by like invaders when Russian outposts were being built in the area. And so this guy's like In a Russian fucking, America. Yeah. So this guy's like a piece of shit. Like, Jesus Christ. He he says on him on in his own quote, like, I don't care who it was as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah. I just know that like I killed an indigenous person. They were going to cut my throat. Like, fuck you. You weren't even there. They you literally laid a trap. Sugar yeah. That I laid that a trap. I left there for months and totally abandoned. Well, he God. left it there on purpose full of strychnine. So he left it. He left a fucking trap and wasn't like it's not defending even himself anymore. It's just no. you left some shit out. It's a total so this, psycho. I mean, I think he's long dead now because he was eighty-one in nineteen ninety-one. So like, bye. <laughs> but if I this, was fifty years, years younger, younger <laughs> he won't just go out and do things anymore. So yeah, regardless of who killed Klutuk or who Klutuk even was responsible for killing himself. The attacks did seem to end around like the early to mid 30s when the investigators had claimed to have found his remains in a cabin. Okay. So, you know, some could attribute this to the the, like end of the attacks to like the growing population and growth of industry in that area. Mm -hmm. Some could attribute it to Klutuk dying of natural causes or being killed. Frankly, we don't know. And we don't even know. Like, 
you know, this this man was not in any kind when he was born, he wasn't entered into any kind of like federal record. He was an indigenous person living on born and raised on that land. It also could have just been all fucking not the existence of Klutuk, but like if you went back and looked at statistics, if they had them for like, you know, deaths per capita or whatever, like it Mm -hmm. could have just been not an actual uptick in deaths at all. And just legend. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And we just don't know. Like, we know that this person existed, but it, looking at this story, it's much more likely that there, like, was an encounter and that this person was rightfully protective of their land mm-hmm. and then was just made into this uh, legendary boogeyman who was responsible for every fucking death or disappearance in that area, even if it had absolutely nothing to do with him and likely had absolutely nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing to think of him as a conservationist. I yeah. fucking am all about it. Yeah. I'm here for it. So wow. anyway, that's Alaska. my case. I just thought that was very interesting. Wild. Yeah. Wild place. Mm-hmm. Well mm-hmm. done, us. Yeah. Oh, we did it. (laughs) Talk to you next week. Oh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers!